Turn in our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 1, and that's uh, found on page 1588 in your pew Bibles. <clears throat> page 1588, Luke chapter 1. We're uh, in a series in this Advent season um, called Christmas is for Children, <clears throat> and looking at that text that Jesus gave us that the kingdom of heaven belongs to the children such as these. And uh, we're going to look this morning <clears throat> at um, Mary's visit to, uh, to Elizabeth, her cousin. And um, I just want you to be aware of, maybe keep your Bibles open this morning. We'll be referring also to the Annunciation. So in verse 26, that's where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and uh, tells her that she will actually carry the Lord's child and give birth to a son whose name shall be Jesus, a descendant of David, um, who will reign on his father's throne forever and ever. And uh, Mary um, responds that I am the Lord's servant. <clears throat> may it be to you, or may it be to me as you have said. And then we'll dive into our text. So let's uh, look at verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends in Jesus Christ, there's, there's not a lot of action in our text here this morning. And if that's what you're looking for, you may be a little disappointed. It's just a couple of women talking. There was a film uh, that came out not too long ago by that title, Women Talking. The title was G-rated. The, uh, the topic was not. The film um, was based on the true story of women in an isolated Mennonite community in Bolivia, South America. And in 2009, it was discovered that men in this community were sedating women in the middle of the night and then raping them. And the women who could not explain their, their bruising or random pregnancies were told that this was the work of demons. Eight men were arrested and accused of raping more than a hundred women over the course of several years. When the rest of the men of uh, the community went to the town to pay their bail, uh, the film imagined the women of that community, at least selected women, gathering together in the loft of a barn and discussing or talking about what they should do, how they should respond. Should they forgive and do nothing 
Should they stay and fight, or should they, should they leave? And their talk was filled, as you might imagine, with all different sorts of feelings. They talked about anger and revenge, faith and forgiveness, as well as futility, hopelessness, and despair. Women talking. That's what's going on in the house of Zechariah. Now, the tenor is very different, of course, here, because Elizabeth and her baby are literally jumping for joy. The scene is flooded with hope and promise, but the topic of the conversation is the same. It's the kingdom of God. When Jesus said the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, to such as these little children, he wasn't saying that the kingdom of heaven is about Barbie dolls and electric trains. Actually, what he was doing was shocking his crowd. He was challenging popular perceptions. He was declaring a kingdom where everything was just the opposite of common expectations. He was declaring an upside-down kingdom, a, not a kingdom of, of candy cane forests and swirly-twirly gumdrops. Jesus would take a messy, R-rated world and he would shake it like a snow globe until all of that R-rated stuff was gone and only the gently falling snow remained. And that's why Elizabeth's words to Mary are worth our reflection this morning. Blessed is she, she begins. Blessed is she. Now that's not a phrase we hear very often in Scripture. Blessed is he, that we're used to. Blessed is she, that's a little backwards. That's a little upside down. That's kingdom talk. And it makes at least half the population perk up and listen. Blessed is she. It's hard to hear those words and not to think about Mary and not to think about her particular situation. Mary was young, probably junior high age, maybe just starting high school. Mary was poor, pledged to a poor carpenter, and Mary was female. Did you note how, how Luke introduces Mary to us? In verse 27, um, you can refer back to it later, but it says, Gabriel comes to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. So we get Joseph's name first. This is the woman who will give birth to God's child, and she still only gets second billing. Only a woman would understand that. And yet, let's be clear. This text is not, first of all, about gender as much as it is about faith. It's about faith. Blessed is she who has believed, has believed. Luke presents Mary here as the new Abraham. You can't deny that, that Abraham's photograph is really all over this text. Who do Zechariah and Elizabeth remind us of? Two elderly people who can't give birth. They remind us of Abraham and Sarah, the parents of a new nation. Parents by what? Parents by faith. They believed. They trusted and when Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women, 
What does that make you think of? Blessed are you. Maybe it's best to get this out of the way right at the start. The word for blessing that Elizabeth uses here in verse 42 is different from the one that she uses just a couple of verses later in verse 45. The first word that she uses for blessing is the same word that God uses when he blessed Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And when he said that it was through Abraham that he would bless all the families of the world. That's the word that Elizabeth first chooses. It's the same word that Paul also uses in Galatians. When he says that the blessing that Abraham brought into the world, that blessing actually turned out to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is a blessing, that gospel, that must be received by what? By faith, Paul said. A faith like that of Abraham, who believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And Paul tells us that we too have to believe that gospel of Jesus Christ, and that will be credited to us as righteousness. This is about faith. It's about belief. Blessed is she, says Elizabeth, not because she's a woman, but because she believed. She believed what the Lord has said. What the Lord has said. Mary believed God's word. And this is in contrast directly with Zechariah, who we are told did not believe the word of God that came from Gabriel, and therefore Gabriel tied up his tongue, right? But Mary responded in belief to the word of God that came through, through Gabriel. In fact, what Gabriel says in verse 37 is that God's word never fails. Now, we miss that in our translation this morning, which says kind of a lame translation, nothing is impossible with God. What it really says there literally is no spoken thing from the Lord will ever fall, will ever fail. Every word from God will accomplish exactly what it was sent to do. And Mary believed that. Mary believed the promise of God, just like Abraham. Just like Abraham. Mary believed that she would bear a son. And in that belief, Mary became not only the mother of Jesus, but she became the mother of a whole new people who would live by faith. A people who would trust in the word of the Lord, a people who would receive it gladly, a people who would respond to it, who would obey it, who would welcome it into their lives and live it out. And we, friends, are that people. We are that people, people of the word. And so that that blessing, that word blessing, it's important that it connects Mary to Abraham, the father of of nations. But like I said, Elizabeth, just a couple of verses later, changes to a different word when she blesses Mary. Blessed is she who has believed, she says. And the word that Elizabeth uses here to bless Mary is the same word that Jesus uses to bless all of his disciples in the Beatitudes. It's a word that means happy, fortunate, 
Blessed are the poor, he says, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who weep now. Blessed are those who are hated and excluded and rejected. And you can't help but hear Jesus' words already in Elizabeth's. And what, what's happening here is, is that Elizabeth not only connects Mary to Abraham, but she also makes it clear that Mary is, is a disciple. She's the mother of Jesus, but she's also the disciple of Jesus. And in that way, Mary already knew poverty, but, but the rest of this stuff would come shortly thereafter, wouldn't it? As a result of her relationship to Jesus. She would know rejection and exclusion as the mother of who knows whose child. And she would know weeping as she fled with her son and her husband to Egypt to escape Herod. Being attached to Jesus leads to all of these other things. And yet, Elizabeth doesn't cry. She doesn't weep these words over Mary. She doesn't weep her blessing. She rejoices over Mary. Blessed is she who has believed. These words were spirit-led, Luke tells us. Spirit-led rejoicing. And it forces us to ask, is it possible then? Is it possible to be both blessed in terms of happy and fortunate and at the same time poor and hungry and hated? The world would say, no, that's, that's not possible. That's a paradox. You can't, be, you can't be happy and hungry at the same time. But most disciples of Jesus would say, yes, it is possible. It is possible. And most disciples would also remind us that we cannot be too quick to disconnect things like gender and poverty and youth from faith, from belief, from belief in one who would come born in a manger and who would die on a cross. See, maybe there's actually more of a connection than we sometimes think between those things. Maybe, maybe in an upside-down kingdom, good news looks different to those who are at the bottom I mean, isn't that what we often say to addicts? That you're going to have to hit bottom, you're going to have to hit ground zero before you can find new life? Well, maybe that's true for more than just addicts. Maybe that's true for all of us. Let's, let's consider just two upside-down qualities in Mary that may have contributed to her great faith. Two qualities, poverty and youth. Let's first look at poverty. I suppose you could question whether or not Mary was really poor or not. I mean, we don't know much about Mary. We don't know anything about her background. We don't know where she went to school. We don't know who her parents were or what they were like. We know very little about Mary. And yet, we might know more than we think. I mean, immediately after 
Um, Elizabeth blesses Mary as they were talking. Mary, Mary bursts out in song. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And then her song is filled with all sorts of kingdom images about the reversal of all things. How God will bring down rulers from their thrones but lift up the humble. And how God will fill the hungry with good things but he will send the rich away empty. Do you know where, where, where so much of the content of Mary's song comes from? I mean, interpreters and, and, you know, Bible study folks have been, have been pointing this out for ages that much of Mary's song actually comes from Hannah. Hannah, the mother of, of Samuel. Remember, this is Hannah's song that she sang after God answered her prayer and, and gave her a child. Hannah, the barren one. Hannah, who knew the pain and the disgrace that came along with barrenness. You have to remember that in Hannah's world, women who produced the whole, you know, yard full of children, they were rock stars in the community. Women who were barren were like extra extra baggage, extra weight that you were forced to carry around. Hannah sang a song of a God, a song of praise to a God who would turn the world that she knew, that kind of world, upside down. Now just think about this for a moment. Mary knew Hannah's song. Mary knew Hannah's song, which probably meant that Mary's mom and dad knew Hannah's song. Hannah's song, whenever... Whenever they were doing dishes or dusting the house, they said, Alexa, play Hannah's song. And then they dreamed of what could be. And they dreamed of what God could do. And that wasn't true for everyone. Not everyone liked Hannah's song. And it wasn't because of the tune. It was because of the words. The theme to that song, not everyone liked. Not everyone wanted to see a world that would be flipped on its head. Some people have a lot invested in the way things are. And so when Hannah's song played on Spotify, they just skipped to the next track. They never learned the words. They never really knew the song. But not Mary. Not Mary. This was a favorite in her house. In fact, it was so much a part of her working memory that when she burst into song at Elizabeth's house, the words that came out were Hannah's. You see, Mary had faith, but it wasn't just any kind of faith. Mary had the faith of Abraham, and she had the faith of Hannah. The faith that God could bring something out of nothing. That God could bring light out of darkness, life out of death, and a Savior from an unfertilized egg. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. 
And friends, this is important. Because most of us have a different view of poverty than Mary would have had. Most of us have a very different view of poverty than actually much of the world has. Most middle-class Americans, whether we know it or not, have sort of adopted the mindset of Horatio Alger. And you may not have ever read his books, but he wrote quite a while ago, and Horatio Alger wrote novels that are often referred to as rags-to-riches novels. And they tell the story of how, how poor people, usually poor boys, through their, through their hard work and their good ethics, lifted themselves up out of poverty and into the security of the middle class, and all was well. Rags-to-riches sorts of stories. And many of us have that sort of view of poverty. That if you try hard enough, and if you live by good morals, you can get out of your situation. And it's sort of this, it's sort of this attitude of, well, I did it, you can too. I did it, or we made it, you can too. What we don't often think about, friends, is there are true rags-to-riches stories. There are. People have made it that way. What we sometimes forget, though, is that there are millions, perhaps billions, of other stories of people who never made it and couldn't make it. And what we forget about those stories is that there's often a third party involved. There are what Paul refers to as evil powers and principalities that are actually working to keep us down right where we are. Those powers are at work in this world. Okay, Like I said, not everyone wants to see the world turned upside down. Plenty of us like it just the way it is. In that kind of situation, what we need is not hard work. What we need is a Savior. What we need is someone to lift us out of our situation. When we were in Europe a few uh, summers ago, um, being in the places where we were, I read a biography of a Czech woman. She was a, a Jewish woman, and um, she lived during the time of Hitler. And when Hitler came to power, she and her family lost everything that they had. She was able to survive the concentration camps, and when she returned to her home, she found basically that her neighbors um, had taken over her family's property, and she had no place to live. She was able to get through that. She actually married and had a son and had some sense of normalcy, returned to her life, and then what happened? Then the communists came in. And they came in with this attitude of suspicion. Everyone was under suspicion. Everyone could be falsely accused at any time. And so, once again, she lost everything that she had. Being falsely accused, actually her husband was falsely accused. She lost her home, she lost everything, she lost her husband. And friends, in situations like that, you can work as hard as you want, and they did. But you cannot lift yourself out of that situation. You need a Savior. 
And the problem with this sort of pick yourself up by your bootstraps mentality is that when you think you can do that and when you're convinced that you've actually done that in one area of your life, you tend to think you can do that in any area of your life. That you can even overcome the fall by picking yourself up by your bootstraps. And what Mary is telling us here in her song is we can't. There are some things that only a Savior can do. And some people know it and understand it more than others. We have certain beatitudes that we abide by. Blessed are the good. Blessed are the industrious. And Elizabeth answers us and she says, Blessed is she who has believed in the promise of her God. The second upside-down quality that may have contributed to Mary's faith is her youth. This is what this series is all about, right? Children. Mary was young. She was a child. You know, oftentimes we have this idea that when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary to tell her that she's going to bear a child, that he comes asking her, that he comes sort of with this message of, well, Mary, God is going to do something new. He's going to advance his kingdom in, a, in an incredible way, and he would like you to be involved. What, what do you say? Will you at least come to tryouts? Gabriel's asking Mary to participate. Read the text again. Gabriel doesn't ask anything. He says to Mary, God has been gracious to you. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a child. You will give birth to a son. You will call him the name Jesus. This child in no way was a choice. And I wonder how that message from Gabriel would have gone if he spoke it to an adult. What do you think? When I think of adults, especially at this time of year, I see people who are trying so very hard to control everything, right? Everything's got to be scheduled. Think of how it works, right? Um, after church, we're going to grandma's, and then we're going to church again tonight, and then we're going to go to Aunt Martha's this evening, and only after that will we open gifts. And then only two gifts tonight, and the rest you can open tomorrow morning. This is how it's going to work. Don't ask any questions. What's life like for children? Get in the car, buckle up, eat your carrots, tell Grandma you love her, and thank her for those pajamas with the, the bunny ears. <clears throat> adults direct, adults control, children obey. And children trust. Children trust. And maybe that's why God sent Gabriel to a child. You will be with child, and you will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. Okay. Okay. 
And if you think about it, isn't this exactly the way Jesus talked about his kingdom? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He said, the kingdom of heaven is coming. It's not a choice. The kingdom of heaven is coming. And, and you can respond this way. You can see it coming and you can repent. You can turn your life around and start heading in the same direction the kingdom is heading in. You can align yourself with the kingdom or what? Or you can get run over by it. Because the kingdom is coming. That's how Jesus talked. It's not a choice. The kingdom is is coming. Mary trusted. Mary believed that whatever God said, it would be accomplished, that his word would be fulfilled, and that his word was good. His word was good, and she aligned her life with it. I suppose Mary could have reacted differently, right? I mean, I suppose she, she could have pouted over the way things were working out. She could have been bitter and moaned about how all of her friends had it so much easier. She could have gotten angry and spent all of her time trying to regain the future that she was so much looking forward to. But that's not what she did. She believed. And she trusted. And what about us? Mary sang a song about what is coming. That song has become for us the word of the Lord. And when Mary sang that song, she was so sure about what's ahead that she sang about it in the past tense. That God has scattered the proud and the rich. That God has lifted up the humble and the weak. The kings of the earth he has cast from their thrones and the hungry he has welcomed to the feast. It's all in the past tense. It is so sure, it's as if it's happened already. And that song has become the word of God to his people. How will we respond? Well, I suppose we, we could be bitter. We could ask, ask God why, why he chose us to carry his promise and not someone else. We could get angry That God is asking us to give up so much rather than just rejoicing in the gift that he's given. We could spend all of our time denying the upside-down quality of his kingdom and rather invest our lives in what will surely pass away. Or we can respond to God's word the way we always do. Thanks be to God. We can rejoice. Rejoice with two women talking. 
And we can welcome God's Word into our midst and into our lives with the trust of a child. Or we can stand with the poor and put our hope in God for a Savior. Or we can sit with those Mennonite women and we can weep and mourn now. And we can work and pray against their oppressors. And we can point them in faith to a day that justice will indeed come. We could trust and believe that blessed are the poor and blessed are the young and blessed is she who has believed the promises of God for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, sometimes even for us as your people, an upside kingdom is upside down kingdom can be a scary thing for us to think about. We might not be in control. We might lose all that we've gained. We might lose the future that we have always looked forward to. And so, Lord, give us, give us the heart of Mary and give us the faith of Mary that trusts that your will indeed will be done and that your will is good. Help us to see that, that Jesus truly was the best gift ever given. And the best thing that we could ever do is align our lives with your kingdom. For your kingdom truly is good news. Your gospel truly is good news that you truly are our Savior from all of our sins. We worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.